Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Well, we've come to expect drama when Gael Monfils takes the court, but not like this. Midway through the second set tonight, he seemed to lose his mud, bouncing around to distract John Isner while serving and arguing with everybody. The chair umpire, the supervisor, as Monfils flames out of Toronto after what had been a brilliant week for the Frenchman. With that, we welcome you to Tennis Channel Live on this Friday night postgame coverage from Canada. It's been bizarre at the National Bank Open tonight. Final four is now set at both venues. Quarterfinals done. Let's uh, show you what's coming up on the show. Full highlights and reaction from day five in Canada. Semis get locked in. Uh, Bob and Mike Bryan reach new heights, quote unquote, in retirement. And we celebrate the legendary southpaws of tennis on International Lefties Day. There have been some awfully good ones in this sport so glad you're with us on this Friday night. Tennis Channel Live is on the air. A couple of Hall of Famers uh, with us. Lindsay Davenport is here in the studio. Over her shoulder is Andy Roddick joining us by Skype. Um, wow, Lindsay, you're, you're just out of the booth calling that Monfils-Isner match. <laughs> Help me understand, yeah. because it looked like Monfils was totally rolling along normally, and then something set him off, and it got weird. Yeah, it really did get weird. And, and even I had to ask Petchy for a second, what did I miss? Right. Because everything was played in such a nice, friendly manner between the two. Then in, in Monfils's way of trying to change the momentum, just became a, a, a circus act out there. And a lot of credit to Isner, who really did a phenomenal job of keeping his composure, keeping his concentration. But i got to hear what Andy thinks right? because I haven't been a part of the, too many of these kind of crazy ATP matches. You act like you've never heard of the confuse and conquer method before. <laughs> That's only response. Now, there's, there's a couple of things here, right? You can change your service, uh, your, your return position. You can make it drastic without intentionally trying to distract the server, which I felt was happening tonight. There's quick movements as someone's starting their their motion is a little much. And the other thing that was a little confusing to me with this whole uh, scenario was in the first game, the third game, you know, kind of he was hurt sometimes. But, like, if I have a busted ankle or a hurt foot or something, the last thing I'm trying to do is move around quickly and even more on that injured foot. So it didn't make any sense. I felt like his last-ditch effort there to get his ankle taped and the whole thing and let maybe you, – you've heard of icing the kicker in, uh, in, in American football and – that's kind of what it felt like, but it, it, it just like it was almost like all of a sudden he just decided he was going to create a circus, and if that didn't work out, he was going to look for the exit door. Yeah, and I'll talk about the mental energy as well. He started with arguing with the chair fire, mm -hmm. then got the supervisor involved, then got the trainer involved, and there was a period there of about seven or eight minutes where he did not stop talking. And when you're just you're just going and going and going and, and fully amped out. It's not a good scene on a tennis court. And I think we all love Mo Leani. I actually think Mo may have made it worse because he gave Monfils a time warning. And then when he tried to explain it to Cedric Morier, the supervisor, he said, well, it's because he was jumping around and clowning and he was acting unprofessionally. And so, Andy, I was confused. Was it a time warning? Was it a code violation for being unprofessional? I think that made Gael even more mad. Yeah, I mean, he definitely gave him a, a time violation. And it, 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 it looked like Gael was... Uh, 
originally talking to fans because he was looking up, and then the supervisor might have come out, and then he kind of diverted his attention to the supervisor. But all the while, you know, someone's waiting to play against you. You can't spend a minute or a minute and a half in conversation. He ended up requesting the supervisor uh, for the switchover to kind of, you know, air it out a little bit more. But that's probably what he should have done at the beginning. You know, Mo Leone, and, and Gail's point was nothing I did was actually against the rules, mm -hmm. and he's right. It was probably just maybe bad form. All right. All uh right. We've come to expect the unexpected when Gael Monfils is on the court. It's usually entertaining. This was bizarre. But let's get into the highlights from earlier today in Montreal with the women, starting with Coco Goff, who's barely had to take the racket out of the plastic the last couple of days, Lindsay, as uh, she took on Camille Georgie. Yeah, this was her fourth match of the week, but it only spent about 90 minutes on court prior. One completed match, five games in another, and a complete walkover in the other one. And... Camilla Georgie, quite the opposite. She has played a lot of tennis lately and really had that nice range going. She packs a big punch. And in the beginning of this match, really was able to overpower Goff. Used a phenomenal mix of the power shots, but also found the consistency. And Goff on her back foot for most of this match. Georgie served for this match two times in the second set. And Goff both times. A phenomenal job of fighting back. Georgie, though, was dictating play. She was in the middle of the court. She had more power and gets to the breaker and just a little bit too much for Coco Goff to have to handle. What I was amazed at, Brett, more unforced errors from Goff mm. than Georgie in this match. And for the first time in 35 previous tries, Georgie had never been to the quarterfinals of a 1,000-level event. Now she's to the semis. Meanwhile, first match of the day, Azarenka and Sabalenka. We thought this might be a thriller. It ended up being pretty straightforward. Yeah, all Belarusian matchup, and it was the power of Sabalenka, which was the big story. Not easy to overpower Vika as easily as Sabalenka made it look in the first set. She plays big tennis, and she had her targets working today. Vika did a phenomenal job in the second set, got up 4-2, looked like she was going to turn the tide of this match, but Sabalenka, she's put in a lot of time on the fitness aspect, trying to move around the court better, and it showed in this match, able to win the last four games in a row. And again, the mix of power, but also the consistency was huge for Sabalenka today. So 38th win of the year for Sabalenka. That's most on tour. Fifth semi of the year in 15 events played. That's a pretty good ratio. So here are the semifinal matchups. Sabalenka, Pliskova top half. Georgie and Pagula in the bottom half. Lindsay, what do you think of these matchups? Uh, just a phenomenal job. Jesse Pagula, so impressive how she was able to come back tonight. Two points from losing to Angebur, able to get through. I, I, Sabalenka, she's looked really good so far in this tournament. She's my favorite going into the weekend. I, I want to circle back to Camilla Georgie for a second. Andy, she's about to turn 30. That, that kind of snuck up on us. And, and she's had some of the biggest weapons in the sport since she came out on tour. Are, are you surprised that she hasn't been able to harness those weapons up until now and, and do bigger things? Uh, I, I'm not sure. I mean, she's up and down. She is streaky. She she has one way to play. She's going to come out of her shoes on on every shot. She's going to go, you know, red line every single shot. There's not a lot of variety. There's not a plan B. Uh, you know, I, I thought she was very uh, intentional with her game plan today. She was going after uh, Coco's forehand. I mean, every time and Coco was kind of leaning off of it. It wasn't really uh, firming it up. Wasn't able to kind of redirect up the line. So, uh, you know, credit to her. She came out with a, a very, very, very convincing plan and, and executed uh, as well as she had to. What about uh, Coco? Is, is there anything she could have done differently to, to either outpatient Georgie or, or, or some other plan B? I, I think it was still a, a pretty good week for Goff. And we got to remember she was just coming off 
COVID first yep. tournament back, didn't get a lot of reps under her belt because of the withdrawals that she faced. And, and Georgie is a tough player to play against because you don't get a great rhythm. Mm -hmm. and, and Goff was unable to really dictate play in this match. She hung in there. A couple errors, but I think if you were to tell her a couple of weeks ago, okay, you're going to get to the quarters of your first tournament back and, and start to build towards the U.S. Open, I think she'd be okay with yeah, it. Yeah, it doesn't feel like she missed very much rhythm from that time away. Did miss the Olympics, but that's uh, about it. Let's shift to the men in Toronto. We'll start with Stefano Tsitsipas. Celebrated his birthday yesterday by beating Corinne Hatchinoff. Added another win today, Andy, against Casper Ruud, who was on that three-title streak. Yeah, I was actually pumped to see this matchup, to see what Casper was going to bring on the hard court, to see if the game would translate. And you saw a lot of this from, from Tsitsipas today. Early, early in the match, coming in on second serve, Serbian volleying, saying, I'm not going to let you back, back way up. I'm going to make you think about it a little bit. I thought uh, his game plan was great. I hadn't seen him come forward this much in a match before. And, uh, you know, it was kind of moving Casper around. Casper was struggling, kind of missing easy balls early on. But the credit to Stefanos really took control of the match there late in the second set and made it a kind of a straightforward day as opposed to letting that second set get a little tighter, a little nervier. He's looked great his last two matches. So Rude's win streak comes to an end at 13 matches, 45th win of the year for Sitsipas. That's a tour high on the men's side. Under the lights in Toronto, Daniil Medvedev, runner-up here two years ago to Rafa, taking on Hubert Hurkacz. Andy, you said yesterday Hurkacz was one of your sleepers for the U.S. Open. Yeah, and I still feel that way, you know, and especially coming in, he beat Medvedev in the round of 16 at Wimbledon, long five-setter, so we're going to see if this is a, an actual matchup problem for Medvedev, but Medvedev doing Medvedev things is grinding people down. He doesn't have to have his best stuff to stay in a match, to survive in advance, and this was uh, a blueprint for that today against Herkoch. Came in at the end, he wasn't getting the best of a lot of the baseline rallies tonight. Late on in that, in that breaker, starts coming in, kind of going kamikaze in the net, and then a big serve there to close with the match. But just a gritty, gritty performance from Medvedev. I don't think he was the best player for most of this match. But, you know, as he's kind of uh, done the last couple of years, he's figured out a way. That's actually what he said to uh, Hercotch at the net. He said you were the better player today. So these are the semifinal matchups. Andy, what, what do you think of these two first blush? I mean, listen, it's the battle of the Giants versus the guys who have won uh, a lot over the last couple of years. <clears throat> Excuse me. Riley Opelka has, has looked really good, really kind of – uh, figuring out his game, when to press, when to kind of hang on. And John Isner has kind of mastered that for the last 10 years or so. I think uh, it's a better matchup for Medvedev against a big serve than it is for Tsitsipas. I'm curious how much Tsitsipas is going to be able to, like, come in. I think he's actually going to serve a volley play against Riley to not kind of let him get his feet underneath him. Might actually work out. Uh, you know, Opelka and Brood are nothing alike, but that play might, uh, might be a good one. Uh, Lindsay, you called that uh, Medvedev-Hurkacz match. Boy, that was a war tonight. Uh, what was the thing that impressed you the most about Medvedev? Because it looked like he might be circling the drain there in that, that second set breaker. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Andy called it right. When you're a top player and you start winning matches when you don't play your best, he won that match. He did not break serve. That takes a huge mental effort from a player who's a great returner and used to getting a lot of breaks of serve. Now faces Isner. That's also going to be a very tough task. But Medvedev did a phenomenal job of not getting down on himself. He wasn't really wasting any energy. We've seen him play matches before where in frustration he'd be yelling at his coach or, or getting really upset about things. Actually stayed pretty calm. Knew Hercoc was playing well. Just tried to stay with him. And again, I mean, he said it at the net to Hercoc. Actually, I think you were the better player tonight. But mentally, he just battled out there. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll be curious to see what his, his uh, return position will be against uh, against Big John. You know, it, he likes to kind of drift way back. Will he be able to do that and still deal with the angles that Isner's be able to create off the serve? And conversely, Isner in the past has not liked playing guys that keep the ball down. And, and Medvedev certainly flattens out that back end. He didn't like playing against a guy like Leighton Hewitt, where you felt like you had to use a sandwich on every shot. So I'll be curious to see uh, how, how they both adjust that way. Wherever he stands on return, can he at least stand still? Can we, can we just ask <laughs> that much? Uh, a lot to get to still on TC Live tonight. We'll check in with Danny and Prakash on the ground in Toronto. And did you know that it's International Lefties Day? The one day of the year that we celebrate the 13% of the world that operates Southpaw. And in tennis, they've been some of our best. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Back on TC Live, if you're a tennis fan and a podcast consumer, make sure you check out all the content available at the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. This week's Inside Out podcast features an interview with Isla Tomjanovich. The Tennis.com podcast has Kamal Murray chatting with tennis pioneer Leslie Allen. And the Matchpoint Canada podcast has Coco Goff from up in Montreal, all available at the normal podcast download outlets. Meanwhile, on uh, Tennis.com today, our good buddy Joel Drucker has a piece acknowledging the fact that it is International Lefties Day today. Joel used that as an opportunity to look back at the remarkable seasons that a couple of lefties had in 1984. We're talking about Navratilova and McEnroe. Look at these numbers. Mac on the right went 82-3, and won 13 of the 15 tournaments that he entered and won two majors. Martino went 78-2, and two, including a 74-match win streak that lasted 10 and a half months, and she won three majors. Uh, these numbers are mind-boggling. Lin- Lindsay, it reminds, it, it's a great reminder, especially. <laughs> I was looking at Andy shaking his he, head he like can't, me. He's in disbelief. That, it's crazy. But right? it, it, it reminds us, right, that some younger fans may only know Martina and John as broadcasters. We, we need to remind them how dominant they were. It's it's remarkable. You always hear about it, and then you just see those numbers, and it's astounding. And to think it happened in the same year for both of them, what a historical year that was. But how about Martina, three of the four? What would you say, 74 matches in a row? Mm-hmm. Come on. And playing an awfully yeah. good lefty there in Monica Sellis. Yeah, those those numbers are like, you know when you're like 10 and you get really good at a video game, and you like never <laughs> lose? That, <laughs> It's like that, but they're like real humans, you know. It's, 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 I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand those numbers. They, they are mind-boggling, and um, if not for the fact that uh, Martina lost at the Australian Open, which was played at the end of the year in 1984, she would have had the calendar Grand Slam. Um, so, so I'm talking to a couple of righties on, on International Lefty Day, and it's, it's often been said that lefties have certain inherent advantages in tennis. Um, what was the thing that bothered you the most when you, you played a lefty? Well, it's hard just... The typical patterns that you'd have to play another righty, let's just say weaker backhand return, so you were so accustomed to serving there, you'd have to really change that when you played a lefty. Um, the other thing is obviously a huge disadvantage, returning on the big points on the ad side. If you played a lefty that really understood how to use their serve and how to use it to their advantage, 
it, it was always incredibly tough to come up with a big return on a big point. I always, I got to play Martina Navratilova once mm. in singles. It was the year she was retiring from singles. I believe it was 93, mm. 94. 2009. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like exactly. that sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I also, I mean, I played Monica Seles and it was just amazing. She had that great combination of power, being a lefty and being one of the greatest competitors that we've ever seen in the sport. So, so does Monica go? I want to ask you both who the toughest lefty you ever played was. Monica, toughest lefty for you? Or, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we talk about her amazing career, and it would have been a lot different uh, if that day in Hamburg had never, ever happened. She was remarkable, though, in her ability to control the court and also just use her leftiness, as we say. And she did that, although sometimes it was hard to tell if you he, if he didn't know that she was left-handed when she wasn't serving because she obviously hit ground strokes with the two hands on both sides. Andy, you had a really good career record against left-handers. 75 and 17. Who was the toughest lefty you ever played? Yeah, a lot of those losses were a, a guy named Rafa, uh, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, you know, it, the thing is, is like, I mean, we went to 13% of the, the human population is lefty. You just don't get the reps with the opposite spin as much. And Rafa really didn't present like a, a normal lefty as far as the serve. It's not, you know, you think of the traditional lefties, you think of the, the big lefty servers in uh in, uh, in in the men's game, you know, Feliciano Lopez's and Rosetsky's and Ibanezovich's that were a complete pain in the butt. I actually didn't mind playing those guys as much because I returned better uh, on my backhand side. That's the only thing I did better on my backhand side. Uh, but Rafa, he always had that get out, of j- get out of jail free card, right, where you might be ahead in a rally and he just kind of flips that hook forehand up. And even if he misses it and it lands short, it's still getting up and you really have no good option, especially if you can't knock the ball down uh, down the line, which was, which was, again, hard for me. I think that's why Novak has really changed the game because he's able to redirect that ball, uh, you know, as accurately down the line as he is cross court. But Rafa is, is, is able to kind of like start a Monopoly game over if he has a bad roll with that, that cross court forehand. He can just get out of jail every time and kind of get the pattern that he wants and it was uh it was no fun so so you only ever lost 17 matches in your whole career against left-handers uh seven of the 17 were to rafa however you beat him three times and one of the three wins was a really big one here we go miami 2010 in route to the title you remember this one yeah, I was in the zone, Brett. Watch this highlight. It's going to be amazing. Oh, I didn't even show my good <laughs> But I, what I, my, my takeaway there is there was a pretty unfortunate mohawk because it was like it was like a mohawk, but it was like the mohawk you have when you're kind of losing your hair. So it was like desperate <laughs> in all fronts. It was a bad look. We show one of your most glorious wins. You win my, and that was after making the final at Indian Wells, and you're focusing on the hairdo. And we didn't well, even get I to see what it. I saw. I had to play. Well, I, I, this had doesn't come off because I got like the big Ginobili spot back here. But uh, you know, it's you, you, you just don't need it. But that actually was a semi, Brett. So I hadn't I hadn't won the tournament yet. But I did win the day, and that was pretty fun. Uh, well, I was just getting one match ahead of myself. Uh, beautiful win against Rafa, and, and on this International Lefties Day, let's pay tribute not just to the ones that uh, Andy and Lindsay mentioned, but some of the other great lefties. There's Rafa. We we can't do it without him and Monica and Laver. And Vilas and Goran and Mooster and don't forget Bob Ryan is a lefty. Marcelo Rios got to number one in the world. And, of course, James Scott Connors. We give them all, just as Jimmy did that day, the old lefty salute. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Back on TC Live, Friday night look at Toronto from the sky. And we will get back to Montreal with the highlight. Carolina Pliskova, former world number one, taking on Sarah Cerebes Tormo of Spain and having no trouble, Lindsay. Yeah, Cerebes Tormo, who got off to a good start at 4-2. And Brett, she didn't win another game. It was all Carolina Pliskova after the first six games. She was superb from the back of the court, hitting her ground strokes with authority, not making unforced errors, and Brett doing a phenomenal job in her service games. How about 23 winners from Pliskova to just three by Cerebus Tormo, just utter domination. Wow, uh, just three aces for Pliskova, but she converted six out of seven break points as well, so that's how she got there. Meanwhile, the Opelka match keeps rolling along. Andy beat Kyrgios, beat Dimitrov, and now he beats Bautista Agut. He's having himself a week, and when he's hitting on-the-run passing shots like that, it's going to be trouble. He actually didn't win a ton of return points overall, but he won them in bunches and certainly took his opportunities. Uh, Forehand was a little bit of a disaster against Kyrgios in the first set. He's come a long way throughout the week. He's really found his range with that and always always the big serve and just kind of bullied his way through this match, played a heck of a tiebreaker. And this is maybe the longest point he's ever won uh, in his <laughs> life coming down. I was like, oh, you're just showing out here. And he knew it. Yeah, he, he's, uh, he's gotten better and better as the week's gone on. He's managed his game well. Uh, you know, hasn't won a ton of matches overall this year, but has had some big results. Rome, and now another semi here at, at a big event. A good showing there for Riley. So he, he self-identifies bot. as a serve bot, which I know a lot of big servers kind of bristle at when you say, hey, you're a serve and a haircut, and that's it. We're trained to think, Lindsay, us tennis fans, that if you're a big server like him or John or Karlovich, that, that you necessarily have to have a substandard return and ground game. Is someone going to come along and sort of break that paradigm? And, and is Opelka the guy to, to maybe break it? I think absolutely that can, that can definitely be the case. We've seen it in players before. Even Isovich was a good example where wasn't a bad returner, but he also was a phenomenal server. But the improvements that we've seen from Opelka and just his movement around the court for being seven foot, his ability to play baseline rallies as well, on top of being one of the best servers in the sport, it's certainly going a long way. These players are better and better athletes each generation, and Opelka really kind of changing the, the conversation in that regard. Is he the guy, Andy? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, honestly, like the, the guy that I thought was probably the best returner for a huge guy that I've ever seen is Del Potro. Uh, you know, he's, he was he was six foot seven. He's not quite the seven footers of these guys, but you know, Riley has has really good racket skills. What I like to see is is him taking his chances, being aggressive all the time, really committing to it. I felt like he got into too many rallies uh, maybe two, three years ago, and now he's kind of taking the shots. Maybe it's the matchup against Bautista Gut. He knows he's not going to grind him down, but I like that mentality all the time. John Isner's gotten really good at that later on in his career. He doesn't suffer long rallies. He kind of goes for it, knows when to pick and choose his spots. Riley's only going to get uh, more nuanced kind of when it, when it comes to decision-making. All right. Uh, by the way, Riley up to number 26 in the live rankings. That'll be a new career high for him on Monday, maybe even higher if he can keep on winning. Let's take a quick look at the social net for this Friday night, what players are doing and saying on social media. This is uh, from our buddy Jose Morgado tweeting out the draws and some of the key 
early matchups for Cincinnati. Lindsay, uh, anything stand I mean, out to I you here? I wish I could read that, Brett. Let me see. All right, so down the bottom, Muguruza Stevens, okay, Osaka Goff, Sabalenka oh. Badosa, Keys Kvitova. Yeah. Uh, so many. Halabagula, Keys Kvitova. I, I got to I got to I got to tell you, since I actually can see it, Lindsay, the one that the one that I'm actually excited about is the return of Osaka versus uh, versus Coco Golf potentially in round two. That's a that's a that's a tournament make tournament director's dream for a night session there in uh, in Cincinnati. I want to see uh, how golf if she can kind of shake off the uh, the forehand yips that she had a little bit today, and obviously a lot of question marks around Osaka uh, going into the U.S. Open. They've already played some big matches. Played a night match at the U.S. Open or Osaka one a couple of years ago, and then it was golf who got the upper hand in a night match at the Australian Open. So, fingers crossed, maybe that'll be a, a Tuesday or Wednesday night match in Cincinnati. Can we ask Twitter to get a slightly larger font for those of us that are 35 and older in the, in the group? I'm just, it's difficult to, to read. So, how about this? The Bryan brothers have retired from the tour, but they have now taken up a new athletic challenge. It's mountain climbing, and they're serious about it. They've been training, as you can see in this photo, to climb Mount Whitney in California, which is the tallest peak in the continental United States. And on Tuesday of this past week, they summited. That's Bob and Mike and their training partner on the top at 14,000 vertical feet. Andy, what do you think of that? I mean, I'm happy for them. This is amazing. But let's be honest, they don't have the calves to keep this up long term. <laughs> they, got, they, got the, they got those tiny little bird calves. I don't know that they can keep up this mountain climbing stuff. Uh, I'm impressed. I can barely make it around the block. So for them to scale a mountain... <laughs> Thumbs up. That's a that's a pretty good effort for a couple of 40-something. Yeah, still elite athletes, yeah. just less than a year removed. So congrats to Bob and Mike on that achievement. We will take a quick break, wrap things up, set the stage for the semifinals in Canada tomorrow. Stay with us. All right, here's tomorrow's feature matches. Pretty easy to pick them out. There's only four matches, all semifinals, live on Tennis Channel beginning at noon Eastern. Danny Kluppinger and Prakash Amartraj are still on the scene in Toronto. They've got a look ahead. All right, Brett, back here at the Tennis Channel desk in Toronto. P, we're down to the final four for both the men and the women. Which match are you most looking forward to, though? I think I got to go with the big man. I got to go with Riley Opelka taking on Tsitsipas. He has a lot of respect for him. It's interesting. They played in Cincinnati last year, the only time they've met, and Riley had to pull out. He wasn't quite 100%. He was just kind of kicking his serve out there and still managing to hold. I'd like to see him do some of that today. Soft, super high, heavy kickers and a little serve and volley action. I think he's got a, he's got a good shot. It's going to be a great semifinal Saturday over here, Brett. All right, guys, thank you very much. Let us get right to our hot shot of the day. It comes courtesy of Herkoc and Medvedev from earlier in Toronto. Andy, not often you see a point with two tweeners, one from each guy, but here you go. Any point can have one tweener, Brett. I'm not impressed until there are two. Here it comes. Oh, come on. <laughs> I thought for sure Maltese had the shot of the day. These guys took it over. That's exactly what I was going to say, Lindsay. This is awesome. And, like, the, the drama of two tweeners, none of which was very good. But, like, the Mom Feast one was an absolute joke that he hit against Isner. That was uh, – that I – I respectfully disagree with this choice. <laughs> well, we're told that the Monfils tweener winner is going to show up on Best of the Best on Sunday. 
We can't show it twice. So, yeah, we're just we're biding our time and, and picking our spots. <laughs> um, yeah, it's called a tease for uh, Sunday's show. Uh, before we go, any uh, final thoughts on the semifinal matchups tomorrow? Uh, again, just huge props to Jesse Pagula. Down a set, 5-4, 30 love on Jabur was serving for the match. Pagula finished at close to 1 a.m. last night, two-and-a-half-hour battle over Danielle Collins. We thought she was out of it. We thought she was tired. What a fighter she is. Showed a lot of heart in getting through to another semifinal this year. Yeah, and, and especially significant because she's going into a match where she's the favorite against Georgie. I mean, she's taking out two players. It's not just for that match, but the opportunity to get to uh, her first Masters 1000 final. And obviously, the big uh, American servers, can they hold serve? Can they get enough uh, looks to break? It, uh, exciting stuff tomorrow. Well said, Andy. And uh, thanks for staying up through the end of the show tonight. We appreciate that. That's going to do it. No response from Andy on that. He fell asleep last night in the segment. We'll be back tomorrow, noon Eastern, all four semifinals live on Tennis Channel for Andy and Lindsay and our entire crew. I'm Brett. See you tomorrow, day six in Canada.